Welcome to It's the ADHD Friendly Podcast, where we talk all things well-being, personal development, and living our best damn ADHD lives at home and at work. My name is Karen McGill. I'm a certified ADHD life coach, and I'm here to help you do life better. Hey, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope you had a great week. Mine was fabulous. Big milestone. I just finished my first live cohort for Distraction Action on Monday. These women were amazing. And the course has officially launched in the on-demand version. So if you are somebody who struggles with moving from distraction into action, if you are procrastinating on something, if you have perhaps ADHD or ADHD tendencies, then you might find this to be a very useful program because it's going to help you understand the neuroscience behind distraction and procrastination and how you can actually create structure to follow through on what's truly important to you. So I will link to that in the show notes and you can find out more about that. But in the meantime, I am so excited for today's podcast because I am sharing an interview with somebody I met very recently. So Susan Gorman is an intuitive and I came across her podcast a while back because I've really been truly trying to understand the mechanisms behind intuition because with ADHDers, we are very impulsive, we think very quickly, and we very often are not slowing down long enough to make intentional choices. And intentionality is really born from intuition. So if we can connect our big, fast, juicy brains with our intuition, I truly think that you know that's a powerhouse connection. And there is no better description or example of that than Susan Gorman. So I found her podcast and immediately loved her because she's not one of your 1-800-CALL-A-PSYCHICS, even though she did work for them for a while. She's incredibly intelligent and kind and sweet and relatable. So you're going to love today's podcast and this conversation. I will forewarn you that, that the sound quality gets a little sketchy at some points, but it doesn't get in the way of the quality of the conversation. You are still able to hear everything. So I apologize for any sort of weird sound noises and the occasional dog barking. It's <laughs> just life around here, guys. And with that, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Susan. It is awesome to have you here. We are recording from your basement lair. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's looking really interesting. It's, How are you uh, doing? It's my my winter den. This is this is my fabulous basement. I've just moved and it's not finished yet. But this is actually going to be where my office is going to be. It just doesn't look like an office. It looks like it, it looks like some place that isn't really a happy place. But actually, the you, you can't see the view. I'm looking right out into the woods, and that's beautiful. So I'm delighted to be here. Good, good. Yeah. And it also is probably great for sound quality too, because you've got all that insulation stuff yeah. and like you know, pulling it in behind you. So that's awesome too. <laughs> well, so I have been looking forward to this interview because literally like just before the call, we were saying that we could talk for hours on this and we could because there's so much to unpack here. But just as sort of a backstory for the audience, you and I met when I signed up for one of your intuitive calls. And when we had our call, you had asked me what it is I do. And I told you I was an ADHD coach. And that's when you had mentioned that you too had ADHD. And I was just so fascinated by that intersection of ADHD and intuition because I believe that they really support one another. So this is going to be cool, but I think a great place to dive in would be understanding how did you find out that you were intuitive and what was that whole process like? 
it's it's when a it's a great story because I think it's really instructive to the to the point that I make a lot, which is intuition is really marginalized in our society. And so there was absolutely, I had absolutely no clue. Now, when I looked back after I discovered it, I'll tell you a little bit about how that went. The signs were all there, but there was no structure in our world to be able to draw that out. So really, one of my big missions is to help teach people about intuition because we don't have a common language to talk about it. And if you don't have like a big intuitive awakening like I did, I think you're missing out. I don't think any everybody is meant to necessarily be an intuitive counselor like I am and a teacher or writer about intuition. But I, I think that we're using this, we're underusing our most natural resource. So that's why I get very passionate about it. So the story is that on my 21st birthday, I had two friends. It was 87, so super groovy new age time, right? The bookstores, the crystals, all of that stuff. And I had actually been reading books about intuition. I would raid my local library from the time I was about 12 or 13. I would take home as many books as I could read about ESP and past lives. And, you know, I, I just, I devoured books about it, thinking that it was just something I was very interested in. But what I didn't realize then is I was getting prepared, right? Mm -hmm. So my 21st birthday started out very auspiciously with me having a moment in my closet. I was not real clear about this adulthood thing, and I wasn't really happy about it. I didn't feel ready to be an adult. I was crying in my closet. And then I went and had a lovely day with my family. And then my friends came over in the evening, they surprised me. They brought a cake and a present. And my friend brought her new boyfriend. I had only heard about him. They were spending a lot of time indoors. Like, you know, it was that sort of hot and heavy beginning part of a relationship. All I knew is that she was really into him and she liked him. And so we had cake and we sat around and I suddenly started to feel very odd I will admit that my first thought was, what did they put in this cake? I was, you know, confused because I didn't think that they would do something like that. But suddenly I began to see things like a movie was playing in my mind. And I knew that it had something to do with her boyfriend. But I was trying to be polite and pretend that it wasn't happening. So I saw three little snippets. The first one was that I could tell that this house that I was standing in, I could see through the window that there were cornfields everywhere around it. And then the second uh, little vignette or movie clip was of her boyfriend's, I felt father kind of looked like Ernest Borgnine, but he, this man was on a tear. He was enraged and he was really like drunk and running through the house and everybody was terrified and hiding. And then the last clip was of her boyfriend graduating from graduate school and I could see the ceremony. It was a big venue and all the people were there in caps and gowns and I could tell that her boyfriend was going to be an English teacher. And that this was the fulfillment of a deep desire 
So this is all going on. We're talking about lots of other things. I'm trying to pay attention to them and act like I'm paying attention to them. And meanwhile, this entire world is unfolding visually and emotionally in, inside me. And I've, I've replayed this moment many, many times, and I still don't have a good answer for why I suddenly blurted out, you know, I'm seeing this thing that's happening. The, the first clip also, in addition to the cornfields, had his mom sitting under one of those long, bare light bulbs hanging from the ceiling. But this is before it was trendy and cool. Mm -hmm. And she was mm -hmm. chain smoking. This woman was really stressed out. And I could see her perfectly, her hairstyle, everything. And I just started telling him, I'm seeing this. I think she's your mom. I can see the cornfield. Turns out he was from Southern Illinois, so that made sense. Like he just started confirming things, but then it got a little intense and he turned to my friend and said, what have you been telling her about me? And she equally perplexed looked at him and said, I, nothing, which was true. Mm -hmm. And then this moment came when I was just really overwhelmed. I had to tell him to go back to school. And, and get a teaching degree. I said, you know, the next four years of your life are going to go by whether you're in school or not, whether you're driving a cab or not. And I, I don't know if I knew that he drove a cab, but I do know that his dad had also, and had it was one of those abusive, like, you want to go to college, you think you're better than me kind of tapes. And he was fighting against that. And then we sort of wrapped up the evening politely and my entire life changed in that moment. I went to bed. I couldn't get out of bed for a few days. I would get up. I would go to class. I would do the bare minimum. But mostly, if I wasn't doing that, I was asleep. And I started to really freak out a little bit. I thought, what has what is happening to me? Because it, it was also a physical experience. My palms, my feet my head like around my third eye but on top of my head too it felt like there was like a lot of vibration mm -hmm. and the third day i was doing some journaling like i'm scared i don't know what's happening to me what's this supposed to mean and i felt someone talking to me back through my writing which is called automatic writing and i actually really encourage it it's a great tool for people my handwriting changed and I just felt like I was being directed. And the first instruction that I got was like, this is who you are. This is what you're meant to do here. Just read everything you can get your hands on and meditate an hour a day. And that yeah, was the right. beginning. And it was a little bumpy for me for a while, but then I started feeling a little bit more confident to do readings for people. I I found out by, by accident, I'm using air quotes, that there was a, do you remember those psychic 900 numbers, which mm -hmm. I would never recommend anybody call, but there were real, real intuitives that were working there. And I was one of them. And it, I, for 40 or 50 hours a week, I would do readings with, for people that I couldn't see. So I couldn't gauge their responses. And I met other people who were intuitive for the first time. Now, this business model was just completely exploitative, right? And it was not only exploitative of the people who were calling in, but of us as, you know, worker. It was, it was, it was, it had a shelf life. 
But right about, you know, into maybe the first year I was doing it, that's when I started to feel confident enough to take private clients and started teaching classes very shortly after that. And that was over 30 years ago. So it's it's been, you know, really amazing to me that I just believed that this was something that other people could do. I had absolutely no idea that that's, you know, what one of my superpowers was. It was really, you know, like, like I said, it was the definition of life changing for me. Okay, so since this happened on your 23rd birthday, could you think there's anything that turned the switch? Well, yes. I think for a, about a year before this happened, I had been, I had a meditation practice and I had begun to pursue my spiritual life. And it was, it, I, I definitely think that that is what sort of opened the circuits. But like I said, I think I've been preparing for it for a while. Even as a kid, I was being shown what the path was. Now, I really believe that this is a talent, just like other talents run in families too. My grandmother was the direct, the next direct line for me. And her story was amazing and kind of sad because she did not feel like she could talk about it a lot and went through a lot of loss that she felt beforehand. She told my mother that she used to have dreams of people who were dying, that they, she would see them floating in their coffins down the street. And I just thought that was really intense, but it wasn't until I became an adult and I realized that she lost her only brother and her closest sibling during World War II. It wasn't just that she saw people dying. It was that she so she was born, I think, in either 1906 or 1909. So she was a young woman discovering her abilities while the entire neighborhood had gone off to war and were dying, right? She also lived through the flu, the pandemic, right? So if she was born in 1906, that makes her well old enough to have these feelings. It really usually kicks in for young women around the time that they get their first period when they're teenagers, and then it accelerates at different biological reproductive points through people's lives. So it, it's really interesting to me that she really downplayed exactly what was happening, right? It wasn't just that she was having the occasional nightmare, right? It was that there were, she lived as a young woman through two of the most difficult periods of the 20th century. So she decided she wanted to be a nurse, which really you know, it was amazing, but her family didn't value education, especially for girls. And she became a hospital volunteer in her later years and was really beloved at the hospital where she worked. So that is an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I wanted to ask you now about your ADHD diagnosis and history and build that bridge between your intuition and your ADHD. But before we go there, I, I have to ask this question. You said that the intuition piece 
evolved around the time of your first period. So my question to you is, if you didn't have that intuitive ability early on around that point, does that mean that it's not something that's going to be a part of your life? No, I did actually, because that's when I started going to the library. And this is a massive generalization, by the way, and it's very gendered. So I, I want to go on the record as saying there's a big stereotype out there that women are intuitive and men aren't. And that is not true. You you can be you can be non-binary, you can be identified as male, you can identify as female, and you, and it has nothing to do with your biology. Everyone is intuitive. My experience was right around the time that I got my first period. And also, by the way, when I had both of my children, right, it was, Hmm. there was some acceleration there. Because I think that when I was given these two beings that I wanted to keep alive, (laughs) I think we lean into our strengths. And so it made me trust my intuition a lot more. So... Hmm. And it's also so, interesting because I'm in perimenopause right now and the same thing is happening again, another acceleration too. So that's not probably the best example of how it develops for everyone because I work with men and they really suffer from that assumption that you have to be a woman. So I think it's probably more in terms of the the divine feminine is what we are experiencing and you can experience that at any point in your physical development and at any point in your gender identity. Yes, I appreciate you saying that because certainly when we talk about gender we can easily alienate people who don't identify in a certain way, but I'm also hearing that this could be connected to hormonal fluctuations. Is is that right? I would challenge myself a little bit and maybe look and see if there were other things going on when I was 13 or when I, you know, had my kids or at this point in my life. I'm sure that's the case. It sort of makes me regret bringing it up. But I just think that it could also be that I was influenced by what our societal expectations were for being a girl identified girl, right? And so that I was more open to the influence of the divine feminine in my life. But I also think that it's also brain stuff. It's people ask me all the time, like, how do you know that? How did you see that? How did you do that? And I can't explain to me. It doesn't feel scary. I know in retrospect, I was talking to guides and spirits from the time that I was even younger than that, like seven, eight years old. I always felt them around me. And it was never when people started to talk about evil spirits or ghosts, I was completely perplexed. So I think that I'm probably describing something that I've attached to developmental periods in my life that have to do becoming a mom or, you know, becoming a a menstruating person. But it could also just be that those are easy markers for me to attach to and that it was always just going to be that way. This is how I came into this world, right from Mm -hmm. the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, that makes sense. Because I also I can tell you just briefly, like, I met people that I knew were unsafe. 
before I was 13, and I knew they were. So it was probably, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this, because I'm not so sure it's gender related at all now, come to think of it, or physically involved. But like, I do know that there are also times when I could point to that and say, well, right before I got my first period, you know, when I turned 21, when I had my kids, things like that. Mm, that's so interesting. So now let's move into your ADHD experience. Can you briefly explain, like, how did you learn about your ADHD? And do you see any parallels between your intuition and your neurodiversity? That's a great question. Absolutely. So again, the joke was on me, right? So I had postpartum depression and anxiety, and we had made a cross country move. And I had been seeing a psychiatrist that I loved before we moved, and he had prescribed a, he had diagnosed me with a generalized anxiety disorder, which I felt completely comfortable with. And then I moved with an infant and a toddler across the country, and it just, you know, I needed more support. So I found a psychiatrist, and not only do I adore my shrink because he has the, you know, sharpest, darkest, wonderfulest sense of humor, but he is also very perceptive. And during one of our sessions, he looked at me and said, have you ever, you know, considered or heard anything about ADD? And I was like, well, yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's like what happens when you have a kid in your classroom that can't sit still, right? The, like the, the narrowest of stereotypes at that point. And he said, you know, I want you to take this test and also give it to your husband and have him take it as if he's answering for you. And I think I got like all the, que- <laughs> I answered all the questions. <laughs> like it's that, the test that they use to diagnose you, right? And he told me that he later he told me he gave it to me because the way I tell stories is in a big circle. Like I start here, but there's like all this backstory, right? And then I like, I develop some plot points along the way, but then I have to reorient myself and come back and tell you this part. I was shocked. And I went straight to a bookstore and got driven to distraction. And I didn't even realize that I hadn't bought the book. I was marking up the book. And I still, I, I like, I think that Driven to Distraction is a pretty male-based take on ADD as well. But the thing I love about their books is that they are these Harvard-educated doctors who use themselves as examples of how this all works. And there's a humility there and a, a humanness that was just really relatable for me. So I devoured that book in the bookstore, writing on it, looked up, realized, oh, crap, I haven't bought this book. Crying also, like sobbing in the corner of the Barnes and Noble, because it started to explain so much to me. There's a story in there about a woman who went to have an intake with her doctor and said that she remembered every single view out of every single classroom that she had ever been in in grade school. And that's what that's what completely undid me, because that's what I would do. I would go somewhere a lot. And I, 
I don't really think I have the H part unless talking <laughs> is part of that or, you know, mm -hmm. whirling, being a whirling dervish of organization. But it, what happened to me after I was diagnosed is that I actually started grieving. I went through a grief process that took about six to eight weeks where, and, and my shrink expanded our appointments so that I could come. And instead of just doing like a med management appointment, that's like 20 minutes, I was there mm -hmm. for an hour just trying to unpack this earth shaking paradigm shift that, you know, it was, it was, you can hear it. I'm trying to describe how helpful it was to finally understand that my brain was doing something, whether I liked it or not, that made me different cognitively. And I've learned a lot about it over the years. One of the things that I have heard over and over again is that people with ADD are more intuitive and it's, I don't know what exactly it's attributed to, but I know for me, it was, again, a strength that I could rely on when my brain couldn't, when I couldn't direct traffic in my brain. Mm -hmm. Now, I did have a huge concern, though. I was terrified. Like, I, I knew some people at that point who claimed to have ADD or ADHD, and they weren't on medication, and I knew that I did not want to be one of those people because mm -hmm. I saw them really struggling to function in the world. And I, I believe I was high functioning. I believe I like, I got good grades in college. Like I did a lot of things, but I used my intuition to like, for example, become a list maker and to, you know, do things like that. But I was still like, it was still felt like heavy lifting to me. So when medication came up as, as an option, that my fear was that it was going to numb me out or take my intuition away, right? And it, was, it would sort of flatten me. And the opposite happened. I just remember that all of that energy that I was using to try and keep going in a straight line suddenly was available for other things. And I've never looked back. Wow. You know, the other thing about ADD, right, is that it can affect mood regulation. And that was the other suspicion that I think my shrink had was that we were out of like the postpartum depression and anxiety part and I was doing well, but all of a sudden out of nowhere, my mood would just tank or I would just become extremely anxious. And it's, it's definitely, you know, something that I don't struggle with on the same level again. I, the way I describe it is that the medication helps me get to the starting point of mm -hmm. functioning, but I also had to do a lot of training myself on how to just live with two small children, right? And I don't know. I also have never really related to the title of the diagnosis that I don't actually feel like it's a deficit of attention. I feel like that's kind of a bummer that that's what we settled on as the diagnosis because I feel like I have too much, right? And I, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily feel scattered in a lot of ways. I just feel like I'm always doing all the things, right? And my intuitive self is the one who's like, okay, everybody, we need to take it down and <laughs> we need to get back into like 
gets back into our body, get back into our psyche. Like, let's just, you know, take some deep breaths. And the interesting thing was, I was always a big advocate for the connection between meditation and intuition. And I would lead, you know, I still teach a lot of classes on intuitive meditation. And that, that part of the functioning of the ADD brain that is hyper-focused, man, I've got that down, right? And I, it sort of feels like it's how I keep myself balanced in some way. So I completely agree with you. I believe that it is not a deficit of attention. It is a dysregulation of attention where you can actually hyperfix on anything, but it might not be what you should be hyperfixated on in the moment. And that's where the brain wants to go where it wants to go. So I like to say it's almost like a drunk toddler with a knife. <laughs> it's going to go exactly where it wants to go. But the interesting thing is that when you say your intuition is the thing that's reigning in the brain, that is your executive function. So it's interesting to me that part of your executive function is so elevated. And it kind of brings me to my next question. How can we start to develop our intuition so that we can take advantage of it in the same way you have? So it doesn't surprise me at all that that tool is a, feels a little inaccessible, right? Because again, from my perspective, we live in a society that marginalizes intuition. So how we do that is by contextualizing it as weird, right? It's this other thing. And I always tell people that if you keep introducing me as your weird friend, Susan, to everybody you know, like I personally might kind of get a little kick out of that. But eventually, hmm, maybe I'm not gonna invest in you the way I would someone who embraces it, all that I am without judgment. So right. first thing is to remember that intuition, like I said, is our most natural resource. It is a completely natural, available function to all of us. It doesn't matter whether you have ADHD or not. In fact, if you have ADHD, you're probably more likely to be able to get a relationship going with it because I think that people who have an ADHD brain are synthesizers, so they're, they can see commonalities in different areas of perception, right? So they're probably more open-minded, but doesn't matter. It's available to everybody. And what you have to first start is by sifting through those judgments, right? We think it's rare, meaning, you know, only your weird friend Susan is intuitive. And even like, think about Trelawney, right? The way she's per, per portrayed. It, it's kind of brilliant, though, because in the end, they, they toss her a bone, her character becomes, you know, validated, they do that a lot in pop culture is that they make the intuitive people eccentric. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they hat tip a little bit to their accuracy, right? But mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm rareness, right? Eccentricity. It's not common. And then we also think that it's unreliable because yeah. we want to know exactly why we know what we know immediately, right? Mm -hmm. And intuition doesn't work that way. Common sense might work that way. Logic might work that way, but you can't put intuition through the same paces. So, you know, you, and actually you don't want intuition and logic to be at war with each other. They work together very nicely. They're great partners. But the fact is that we don't trust intuition to be truthful at all. 
right? That it causes us incredible distress mm. because we can have intuitive feelings and experiences, but we can't justify them immediately. And so we think they're not real. And then the, la the last piece, and this is probably the most important, is that our society really thinks that intuition is dangerous. Mm. And it, it shows up as danger in two main areas that I've been able to see. The first one is in traditional religious communities. You know, moving to the East Coast from California, I've met way more many, you know, way more people, many more people over the years who actually really think that it's from the devil. Oh. And I, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'll just say that. But I also think that we could do like a whole show on patriarchy and traditional religious structures. And if, if you could source your own spirituality yourself, there would mm -hmm. be no need for any kind of conventional religious society right? It would look completely mm -hmm. different. So I think that there's a power dynamic there too, but it's considered immoral. Yeah. And then there's highly intellectual communities. So higher education, professional environments, the danger that I have been able to pick up from them has more to do with seeing it as a mental illness, that at the very least it's immaturity, and at the very most, it's like you, you have a diagnosable mental illness. I just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the place to start. If you want a relationship with your intuition, you also have to realize that there's no developing it. It's there. It's fully formed. Your intuition does not need work. You're the one who has to make the overtures and, and, and be a good friend to your intuition. So intuition manifests mostly as clairvoyance, which is visual. And that the example of that was the one I gave the night of my awakening, where suddenly I was yeah. seeing movies in my own private movie theater. Objective yeah. clairvoyance can actually see things around them that other people aren't seeing, physically mm -hmm. see them. And I've had those experience, but <laughs> it's, it's kind of inconvenient to try to do sessions <laughs> like that. So I think I'm more of a subjective clairvoyant. And then empathy, intuitive empathy. It's similar to emotional empathy. You know, emotional empathy is the idea that I may not have been through exactly what you've been through, but I can mm. imagine it. An intuitive empath doesn't have to imagine it. And more of us are intuitive empaths than we know. So there's the feelings. And then mediumship is the what I call the far reaches of the woo. And this mm -hmm. is where we're able to be aware of the disembodied, right? They're not ghosts. They're not, you know, dangerous, evil spirits, but we are aware that our human body and our human ego are really the only things that die. Mm, that is fascinating. Okay. Here's something that happened to me the other day. I have three very old dogs and they're all probably close to end of life. The other day I woke up and I was journaling and a voice came into my head and rarely do I hear voices, but I got this voice and it said, listen, Karen, Coco's going to die today. Coco is my pug. And I, I didn't really want to tell my husband because I, I didn't want to upset him, but I canceled our dinner reservations and just sort of like 
watched how the day went. And I know that when I ask myself if something is true, which I asked myself as soon as I heard that voice, if it comes up into my chest and, you know, it's kind of tingly, to me, that usually means yes. And when it goes down into my stomach and feels like a lead brick, that is usually my body telling me it's a no. So when I said to myself, is this true? I got the tingles and I thought, oh my goodness, it's true. But it wasn't like, she's still very much alive right now. So how do I trust my intuition when it tells me stuff that isn't true? Okay. So I that's such a great example. So the way you physically described it, I think you have it backwards. What I tell people is that heightened feelings where your heart races or you get tingles or things like that in your chest, unless it's in your heart, but in your chest is different because that's usually that sort of tight feeling mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. doesn't always have to be tight, but sensation or... If your brain is immediately tripped off into figure it out mode, where you're going through like circular reasonings over and over and over again, you find yourself in the same place, nothing new, right? Just obsessive. But what about this? But what about this? But what about this? But then you said if it goes into your stomach and it feels like a brick, that is actually a really good description of what real grounding intuition feels like. Intuition makes you feel better. Even if the information that you're getting is distressing, the actual experience of having an intuition about it is not. It actually makes us feel prepared, strong, clear. And the thing about intuition is that it's inarguable. Even if you can't tell people why you're certain about something, Intuition is that dense, it's that heavy in your body and in your consciousness, you're like, well, I guess this is this, right? It doesn't rev you, it doesn't rev the engine, it slows you down. So you you flip them, right? The brick in your stomach, that is an indication that you're getting a really clear intuition. Now, sometimes we get very demanding. And we want what we want. We want to know things as if to know about them in great detail is what's going to prepare us. And that's not always the case. So I talk about the the painting metaphor a lot, where if what you're getting is watercolors and it's very vague and not very clear, all that means is that there's a few more layers that have to show up so that you can see the picture of what you're looking at more clearly or feel it. And if you've got like an impressionist painting where it's like, oh, I know what that is, but it's not real sharp. It's not realism. Again, all that means is that the pieces are falling into place. And if you trust the process, eventually you're going to get, what's a good example? Like the Mona Lisa or something where you can, it looks like the equivalent of a photograph, right? And I tell people like you have to be patient, right? As those pieces fall in because trusting the timing of how things unfold in our lives and when we know what we know is just as important as knowing it. Because sometimes we don't like we don't want to know everything. There's no point Mm -hmm. in living if we right. intuition can be predictive 
But that's actually not the point. That's a whole crystal ball thing that bugs me, right? Yeah. You don't need to know. You just need to be prepared by what you know. So I think that, you know, it's, it's definitely something, you know, I talk a lot about how your health emotionally, physically, mentally is the absolute prerequisite to having a good, strong relationship with your intuition. And if you are struggling with your ADD, if you feel like there's more that you can do to be, you know, partnered with your solutions around it. And by the way, I just want to make it clear. There are definitely, there's validity to not taking medication for it. I'm only advocating for what was right for me, right? It was my intuition. I knew I need some help. The way I look at it, it was, it was like getting a prescription for my brain, like glasses for my eyes. But mm -hmm. I have absolutely no issue with anybody who decides to take another path with that or to try different things. And in fact, it was my shrink that said, you're going to have to be really patient as we work through this because we want to get a really good fit and it may take some time. And it actually took four or five years before the medication that I chose actually I was like, okay, you guys can claw this out of my cold, dead hands because this, <laughs> you know, this is how I know that this, it's working. It's finally like really, really sharp and working. And it, it's, it really was also a function of me being able to be honest with my doctor and with other people because I was ashamed in the beginning. It was like, you know, we still have a long way to go in terms of really just like, why, why is it? Okay. Glasses are cool. Right. I mean, yeah, they weren't yeah. when I was a kid, but they are cool now. But dealing with all the things that were come with having a body and an ego seem to be things that we are ashamed of. And mm -hmm. that just doesn't really get us very far, you know, doesn't get us where yeah. we want to be. Right, right. That is so true. Well, I feel like that is such a great starting point, and I do want to be mindful of your time because I know you have a hard deadline, but is there anything else in terms of actionable tools the audience can take before we wrap up? I know I heard you say taking care of your physical self, which I 100% agree with, and if you want mental wellness in general, it starts with focusing on your well-being, managing stress, improving nutrition, moving your body daily. These are critical things to managing our emotional well-being. I also heard you say that meditation is great for fine-tuning your intuition. Is there anything else you would add to those suggestions? So one of the ways that I know meditation is great for all of us is that I changed how I thought about the stereotype of how we meditate, right? We sit down, we close our eyes, we imagine nothingness or a red spot on the wall. Never do that, right? And I have, a, I have a meditation course that people can download from my website and do. And one of the points that I make immediately and how, how I know this is because I have ADHD. Some people don't meditate that way. There are lots of different ways you can meditate and you, you can do sitting practice, which is literally practicing sitting still. And I think that's good for all of us. And I do that. But you, if you want to meditate, there are ways that you can do it 
to support your intuition where you don't have to be, you know, basically wanting to gnaw your own arms off up to your elbows. You're so <laughs> uncomfortable, right? Like, and, and also I put in, there's lots of things that we can do to learn how to kind of disengage from the constant discussions and analysis, you know, all of that stuff. Right. But, you know, human beings like we sparkle, we really do. And I think that's the thing that I love the most about what I do is that when I sit down with someone, yeah, we've all got life going on and we've got stuff we want to figure out. And sometimes life is extremely painful and hard and it requires attention to do that. But we often do not pay enough attention to the things that make us really special mm. and, and gorgeous. Right. And I get to do that. Like that's what I get to do for a living is sit down with people and say, okay, we can, we're going to talk about this, but I also think you're neglecting some pieces of yourself image that could actually give you a little boost. Mm. It's interesting that you brought up my podcast because this last episode, I howled. I'm like at the end of it, you know, I have to sort of preview it before the sound engineers like put it up on the website and stuff. And I was, I was, this is how far I've come in accepting. I was like, what? What am I talking about? And I think I'm going to actually do a <laughs> companion episode immediately because I have so much that I want to share with people that often I do get stuck like mm -hmm. in that constant circling of backstory yeah. upon backstory. And, you know, that is one area right now in which I absolutely love podcasting and I love podcasts, but I could see how. It's so fun for me that sometimes my own executive producing of an episode is like, wow, that, that didn't go the way I thought. So <laughs> like when people come to me and tell me that they love it, it makes me feel like it, I love that. But I also want to hear from people about their questions about intuition too, because that will help focus me. Yeah, I can relate to that. And you'll probably start getting a lot more questions. So speaking of which, how can my listeners find out about you? Uh, tell me about your podcast and all the other places they can find you on the webs. Oh, thanks for asking. So I, my website is susangorman.net. And there's lots of different things that you can do once you get there. The podcast you can find, it's called Everyday Intuition. And it's on my website. And it's also on every podcast platform that you've listen to your podcasts on whatever it is. I'm an overcast girl, but like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find it. On my website, you can find ways to get to me. Like you can make an appointment with me. You can download the courses that I have there. But, you know, you can also just say, hey, like some of my most favoritist episodes have come from questions from clients. Right. Well, Susan, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, this was such a fascinating conversation. And literally, I would love to have you back a million times because I could ask you a million more questions. But for now, I'll leave it there and invite my audience to come seek you out and listen to your podcast, uh, which is amazing. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for asking me to talk with you. And I, you know, like I said, when I'm really comfortable 
with someone and I'm having fun, I just talk. That's the thing I do. So thank you for giving me like this whole episode to be able to do that with you and share about intuition, which is, you know, it's my mission. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Well, that's all I've got for you this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Again, I apologize for the mm, not so great audio. I promise I will get that technology nailed down. But for now, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And I will talk to you in the next podcast. Thank you for listening. For links and resources for this podcast, please visit itsadhdfriendly.com or click the link in the show description. Please also be sure to subscribe so you get automatic updates when new shows are posted. And of course, please do leave us an ADHD-friendly review. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.